The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Shane. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that we can 
read this account from so, so many thousands of years ago, and, uh, or hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And, and though it feels so distant and even in some ways archaic, our hearts are exposed in these words because we see you loving Elijah. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to understand the meaning of this text and how it may apply to our lives today. Amen. A question I've asked people uh, in the last several years, and I would love to ask you all in this room and you online, a question is this, how does your heavenly father feel toward you? The question is meant to expose the fact that often in, in the moment of daily life, we might not realize we've begun to think the, our father doesn't delight in us. We begin to think how we feel is how he feels. Now, there are some of you that answer that question, I think he loves me, I think he delights in me, and that's the right answer, and that's great. But let me add this little twist. How does God feel toward you when you're depressed? When you feel like everything is lost? When you see no hope, nothing brings you happiness? In those moments that many of us may be feeling even now, where you wonder what's going to happen in the world and there's nothing for you to do, how does your father feel towards you? I want that question to be on your mind as we move through this sermon. I'm going to do something a little differently. I'm going to spend the first part, just a few moments, reminding us of this text and explaining it quickly. Then we'll spend the second part drawing out three principles. And then our final section, our conclusion really, will be to see how Jesus is the answer we're longing for. So, the overview of this passage. I don't like to get into language technicalities, but there are a lot of disagreements on what's happening in this chapter. A lot of people, a lot of scholars have thought that Elijah was running out of almost a disobedience. Some have called him a type of Jonah, that he was running out of fear. But one of the scholars whom I appreciate the most, Dale Ralph Davis, and others follow suit, would say this. Uh, Verse 3 is better translated, and I don't normally do that, though it can be that he was afraid. There's another Hebrew word that some scholars believe should have been there as it was translated that would be that he saw. The point is Elijah saw what happened, and then he fled. Now, let me explain the reason. Let's go back to the end of our last week's story. Remember at Mount Carmel... Elijah performed, put everything together. The fire of the Lord came down and consumed the the bull carcass, the wood, the stone, and it even licked up the water. And the people of Israel at that moment bowed down and essentially chose Yahweh. And then in in verse 41 of 18, Elijah, we didn't talk about this, but he tells Ahab, go eat and go and drink. And, And it's The rain is about to come on the land. I think Elijah thought, yes, Ahab has repented. Ahab has relented this Baal worship. Ahab is for us. The tide is turning. And at the end of 18, there's this interesting place where Ahab's, you know, in his chariot heading on back to Jezreel where Jezebel lives. But Elijah runs past him in the power of the Lord. And goes and, and gets to Jezreel before Ahab shows up. And it looks like he's wanting to see the scene as Ahab comes in 
and essentially gets rid of his wife, like dethrones Jezebel and her prophets. And he can't wait for this. And so he's waiting for the message that Jezebel is gone, whatever that means, whether she went packing or assassinated or whatever. Well, the messenger comes in verse 2 of our chapter with these words. From Jezebel to Elijah, so may the gods do to me and more if I do not make your life as the life of the one as the life of one of them by tomorrow. What Elijah finds out when this message comes is nothing's changed. All of that work, all of that energy, all of that expenditure for nothing. And so he just he takes off. He goes as far as Beersheba, which is they were at Mount Carmel and in Jezreel are the north of Israel. They've now gone all the way down, he and his messenger to Beersheba, excuse me, he and his servant. And then at Beersheba, he leaves his servant. And in verse four, he goes another day's journey and he collapses. He is exhausted. He's despondent. He's on a mission. I want you to hear this. I believe he's on a mission to go to Mount Sinai, to go to Mount Horeb, same place. But he just finally is exhausted and he falls asleep under this broom tree. And as you know, the angel of the Lord feeds him, revives him. He goes on after a 40-day journey to Sinai, and God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? And as we heard Shane read it, I'll read it again. Hear Elijah's answer. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I... Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. What he is doing there is he is bringing a case before the judge. God is the judge of the earth and the judge of Israel, and Elijah has gone to the mountain of God, and he's brought his case. That's what's happening in this story, and that's important. And we're going to explore what God's doing, but I want you to just notice the earthquake and the, the wind, the earthquake and the fire all occur, and Elijah is inside a cave. Now, does that sound familiar? Remember Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34, asked to see God, and he was hid in the cleft of the rock. I'm not sure if it's the same exact rock, but it's the same mountain, the same God, the same scenario. And Elijah is hiding. And it seems to me that God is demonstrating three ways he could carry out justice. He could just send an F5 right through Israel, wind, and destroy all these covenant breakers. Or not that, he could send an earthquake, and that would do the job, or a fire. But what we find is he comes in a whisper. And we're going to unpack this as we go, but I just want you to hear. He asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah repeats verbatim the case. Elijah wants justice. And what we have is a denouement. If you know what a denouement is, I've, I've mentioned this before. Uh, it's, it's spelled D-E-N-O-U-E-M-E-N-T. It's French. So I thought that was always a denouement. And my son said, no, Dad, it's denouement. So there you go. A denouement is different from a resolution in a story because a denouement sort of leaves things open-ended. And that's where the story ends. After Elijah gives his case, God doesn't give a resolution to the story, to Elijah's ministry. He simply 
gives us a denouement. He says, okay, you're going to go and anoint two kings and a prophet, and, and I have 7,000 people, and he kind of leaves it open-ended, and that's where our story ends. So there's your overview, okay? Now what I want to do, part two, is jump into the principles from this passage. What does your father, how does he feel towards you? And especially when you're depressed, when you're despondent. When we come to Elijah, what we have is a front row seat to God's loving care. And there are three things that I'm going to encourage us all to pull from this passage as we all are struggling in a season of, of despondency, of despair, of depression. Now, maybe not everybody feels that all the time. But we all can, I think, imagine more than normal what that feels like. And some of us struggle with that more than others. So here are the three things. Number one, God cares for your physical needs. Uh, I love, I mean, when I read this passage, as I began to study it, tears came to my eyes, starting at verse four. And I hope they'll come to your eyes as you see what God does for Elijah. Here he is at his lowest. He is so exhausted. I think it's an adrenaline crash. You know, he's been on this adrenaline high when he not only got the altar prepared and he had to face Ahab and do that, but then remember after the fire came down, he, he sent his servant seven times to look for rain. He's constantly on the edge. And then he runs ahead of, of, of Ahab's chariot. He's exhausted. And then the message comes to him that Jezebel has not gone away. He's done. He's now gone to the south end of Israel He's gone a day's journey by himself, and it really does resemble our own Lord and Savior at the, in, the, in the bottom of the boat, just exhausted, asleep, while wind and waves and storms, gale. He wasn't just resting peacefully, but probably utter exhaustion. But look who shows up to Elijah, the angel of the Lord, and he feeds Elijah. Now, I want to... Uh, bringing out some obvious things that maybe it's easy to miss. This angel of the Lord prepared for him a cake. Now, I don't think this is like the kind of cake that my daughter attempted to make last night. I think this is more of a healthy cake and some water. But look at verse 6 if you have your Bibles open. Elijah says, And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake of bread. Listen for this description on hot stones. The angel didn't just snap his finger or wiggle his nose and this appeared. While Elijah is asleep, he's heating stones. He's doing work. He's getting ingredients. He's kneading them. While Elijah is asleep, like a mother caring for a sick child, he's preparing this meal, knowing what Elijah needs. Your father knows your needs, and our father delights to feed us. So my question is, are we eating? Are we sleeping? Are we getting rest in this season? It's interesting because after he eats that meal, he goes back to bed. He sleeps again. We aren't told how long. And then finally, the angel of the Lord prepares another meal, and he wakes him again, and he feeds him again. Are we taking care of our physical needs? Are we aware that we need physically to be rejuvenated as we walk with the Lord? I listened to a podcast by Brene Brown. I think it was her most recent. 
and in one snippet from it, she said she went on a speaking engagement at one point earlier in her marriage, and she just spent herself out at this speaking engagement and was on the airplane and utterly exhausted. And her only thought was, I cannot wait to come home and go to bed. Where her husband was taking care of the children in addition to his full-time job, she envisioned the door opening, husband saying, there's the bath, there's the bed, I know you're exhausted. But guess what he was thinking as she's on her trek home? I've been going at it, doing my full-time job, and, and I've been doing, watching the kids and cooking the meals and doing the dishes. I can't wait till my wife gets home so I can go to bed. So you have two spouses, both burned out and tired. Part of her point is, it's important for us to know where we are. Like, she uses a scale from zero to 100. Um, and she says it's healthy in marriages to sort of check in. You know, I'm at a 20. Well, that's okay because today I'm at a 60 or a 70, so I can chip in a little bit more. But when you both show up to the house at 20 or 10 out of 100 energy-wise, she said problems will come. Well, I have great news. Our Heavenly Father's always at 100. And when Elijah is at his lowest, maybe a one, our Father in Heaven sends this angel to cook and to prepare food for Elijah. But he also uh, has in mind that he continues this journey of 40 days to Mount Horeb or Sinai. And doesn't that sound a lot like someone else's fasting? Moses fasted from food and water for 40 days at Mount Sinai. And of course, our Lord and Savior Jesus, as he begins his public ministry, spends 40 days eating no food, but being ministered to by the angels, where he says, my food is to do the will of the Lord. That's, I'm sorry, where he says, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So my question for us is this, are we feasting on real food? Are you eating healthy? Are you getting sleep? I'm asking you all. Are y'all going to bed at good times? Are you exercising? Are we reading the Bible? And I don't just mean reading, though that's critical, but are we eating the Bible? John in, in chapter four, or Jesus in chapter four of John, when his disciples come back and he's with the woman at, at Samaria at the well, he says, I have food, and they were stunned. He hadn't eaten any food. He says, my food is to do the will of my Father. So I would say, in a way, are we seeing every provision we have in this time where toilet paper is scarce or you walk in and that thing's missing at the grocery store or maybe you can't get out to the grocery store, uh, maybe you lie awake at night and you can't get sleep. Are we aware of the needs we have physically and are we running to our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us in these hard times? He cares for your physical needs. Secondly, he cares for your emotional needs. Uh, I want to unpack what happens next. Elijah makes the 40-day trek. He comes to this cave. He lodges in the cave. Okay, so he's really hidden. And he's expecting, I think, God to do some serious judging, as I mentioned earlier. But listen to what God does. Now, let me preface what the question is by this. Do you think God knows where Elijah is I mean, didn't the angel of the Lord ask him to go or encourage him to go to Mount Horeb? So why the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He asked that question in verse 9. And this is just a reminder that God often asks questions. God is not looking for a theological answer. God is helping Elijah better know himself. Elijah is there. Elijah is angry. Elijah wants justice. And God's going to bring Elijah out of that disposition slowly. So what happens? He shows himself not in the wind, as I mentioned, not in this earthquake, not in the fire, but in the fourth thing. If you look at verse verse 12, the sound of a low whisper. Now that, God wasn't speaking yet. God's going to ask the question again in a moment. What are you doing here, Elijah? But now we have a low whisper. What is a whisper without words? The Hebrew word for whisper there almost means silent. It doesn't mean he's just talking quietly. So this is my own interpretation. Do with it what you will. I think God is doing to Elijah what every good mother or father does to a very anxious child. Shh. Do you ever do that to an animal, to a child, like to a puppy, to anything that's anxious? He doesn't say, here's the fire, here's the earthquake, here. Shh. Calming his heart. And then he asks the question, Elijah, what are you doing here? A second time. Now, I mentioned Dale Ralph Davis. He says this. He says, God is being tender and kind. He is exactly where he is supposed to be. Elijah's not at a wrong place. God's not saying, why are you disobeying? He's right where he's supposed to be. Rather, God, Davis goes on to tell us, God is inviting Elijah to be fully known. Listen to this uh, scholar who says this about these questions. These are questions of tender kindness to relieve the full burdened heart of the prophet that he, to whom the great privilege of being able to complain of sorrow has been denied to him so long. But now he might be moved to reveal this desire to pour out his whole heart before the Lord. Emotion. I think we are so afraid of emotions. God is not using theology here like, hey, you got off track. God is using emotion. Elijah, do you know your heart? Do you know what's in you? He's inviting him to lament. He's inviting Elijah to bring his frustrations out by asking him two times. And he calms him down. Not to say, quit talking, but to say, keep going. Or how are you at lamenting? I struggle with it. I think many of us insert theology where emotions rise up. God is sovereign. Yes, he is. God will take care of this. Of course he will. God will bring justice. Of course. But shh. What are you feeling? What's going on inside of you? You take away emotion from the Bible and you lose the Bible. I'm stunned by the fact that we've been reading several of us the Bible in 90 days. By the way, if you're one of those people, keep it up. I'm a little behind too. We'll send out some emails. Anyway. But you read about David in 1 Samuel, and he's, he's hard. I mean, when you read about David and his, the story of his vengeance and the, the men, the mighty men and what they do, there's a story where he, you know, there's a king um, in 1 Samuel 21 uh, named Abimelech who's basically going to take David out. He's the king of Gath. You know, the story, David starts to spittle on his beard and act insane. 
And you read that and you're just like, dude, like, okay, you're just weird. And then you turn to Psalm 34, a psalm written of David at the time where he pretended to be insane. And listen to David's heart. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. That is a picture of the heart of a man who can deal with his emotions, who can acknowledge that there is an emotional side. And I think we see that in our passage with Elijah. Elijah not only has physical needs, but he has these emotional needs. He's felt isolated and alone, and God's inviting him to lament. So my question to you as we, are, as we move on to the third point is this. How are you lamenting? Like, what are you saying? What words are coming out? What are you not saying? What's your format? Are you journaling? Are you going to Facebook? Are you going to people in your family? Are you burying the emotions? Because we all have to name. We've said it out loud. This is the craziest thing any of us have ever been through, right? I mean, anyone doesn't think that, let me know. Has anyone been through crazier things? Like the whole world is shut down. Like, there's no smog in L.A. because <laughs> no one's driving their cars. So, if it's that crazy and our very livelihood and, and health is on the line, then we must be feeling heavy things. How are you doing it? I'm inviting you to lament, to cry out to God, to pray, to talk to other people, to journal, but to be honest with your emotions. And then thirdly, God not only cares for our physical needs, our emotional needs, but he cares for our social needs. Um, if you listen to Elijah's statement, which he makes twice, he makes this very clear point, I alone, I'm alone. When we are in turmoil, one of the things our neurobiology does, this is what I've heard I've never done a study myself, but I've seen it, is it isolates it. Even your brain begins to fragment from itself and from other people. There's something in fallen mankind that immediately assume when there's a problem, I'm by myself. I'm alone. And that's what, that's what Elijah felt. And listen to what God tells him as his answer. God says, essentially, I have given you two kings, that you're going to go out and anoint, and they're going to join the cause, and a successor, Elisha, whom we'll start studying after Easter. These are three people whom will also be involved in the cause of Israel's restoration. But I've also given you, and this is the jaw-dropping statement that Elijah, I, I would love to have seen his face in verse 18, 7,000, 7,000 in Israel all of whom have not bowed their knees in every mouth that has not kissed Baal. You think God's into emotion? 
Elijah says, I'm a jealous God. Well, James tells us that our heavenly father is jealous. And you hear it in that line. He's jealous of the people who should be worshiping him, kissing other idols. That's an interesting word. And he says there are 7,000 who have not done that, who stayed pure, and they've stayed together. So God is saying, you have a community. And there's something about joining into community that brings about a type of healing. Many of you saw the videos weeks ago of the Italian when, the, when Italy was on its lockdown. I think it's still in lockdown. But in a closely knit community, people would go out on their porches and start singing. Did you see those videos? And pretty soon you had everybody on their porches singing beautiful, I don't know the words because it was Italian, but beautiful songs together. And you could just tell it was a very healing opportunity in the moment of social isolation to know we're in this together. So my question for all of us is, are we aware of our needs to be in community? Are we seeking to be known right now? Are we, what methods are we using? My encouragement Congregation, local and online, let's be calling each other. Like, let's pick up the phone this week and call one person from the congregation that you wouldn't normally call. That's my assignment. I'm going to do it. I want you all to do it. Call someone and just say, how are you? How are you doing? They'll answer you something. Don't buy it. No, I mean, really, how are you, you know? And let's just begin to have, in this time, more community, even though physically we're apart. We can text, we can phone call, we can have small Zoom meetings or FaceTimes with two or three people. I know some of you are not comfortable with large Zoom calls, but uh, how are we doing that? How are we creatively and caringly coming together as a community? And ultimately, let me say, it's incumbent upon me and you to be known. I mean, Elijah felt alone. And what I hope we'll see in this message is we aren't alone. God provides for us, so let's not isolate uh, spiritually. Let's not hole up like a roly-poly in our, in our room with Netflix and forget that we are connected to each other. Okay, last part as we conclude. Uh, this is a denouement. Let me tell you the resolution. A resolution of a story means it ends. The story's over. And there is a resolution. It begins, by the way, in Matthew uh, 17, if you've heard of the transfiguration. It's the, you see it in Matthew 17, in Mark 9, and in Luke 9. It's the story where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountain. And as they're going up the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. And do you know who he's with on that mountain who shows up to have a conversation? Moses and Elijah. Moses, who spent the 40 days at Sinai, who was hid in a cleft, who saw the backside of God. And Elijah, from our story today, who was on the same mountain, protected in a cave, and heard the whisper of God. And then Jesus is the greater Elijah. Jesus is the greater Moses because Jesus is the one who is God. He is in this transfiguration. Peter, in one of the accounts, is like, like, this is it. This is the end times. Like, let's build a building 
and you get underneath it, Jesus, and we're going to start worshiping you, and people are going to come up. It was ecstatic to see Jesus in that moment, in his glory. But Jesus is greater than Elijah. Like Elijah, Jesus knows we need justice. Like Elijah, Jesus knows that the sins of the people in Israel, the sins of Ahab, your sin and my sin needs justice. But rather than asking his father to send a fire and burn every one of you up or send a wind that would just destroy you and we'll start over or an earthquake, Jesus comes from heaven to earth and becomes sin for us. I was reading... Uh, Jonathan Dorsch just put out a, a, a group, a series of movies to watch for the, for the uh, Holy Week, and I was reading through those movie suggestions, and he wrote down, of course, um, the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ, and he gave a little bit of a critique I'd never thought about, but I loved. He said, this movie does a great job of showing the physical pain of Jesus, but where it's lacking, and I don't know how you would do this in a movie, is showing the pain Jesus felt because God turned his face away. We will never know that pain. Jesus knew it. You and I who are in Christ will never feel the pain he felt when his father turned his face away from him and he experienced the wrath on Friday. So I want to read you the lyrics of the song we're going to close with as we conclude this discussion. The sermon title, by the way, I was... I don't know what version you saw, but I, I like the idea that it's titled Jesus Whispers. Elijah was, was angry and God whispers to him, but that's what we're going to close in a few moments singing these words. Um, Lamb of God, we fall before thee, humbly trusting in the cross. That alone by all our glory, all things else are vain and loss. Jesus whispers this sweet sentence, Son, Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Faith he gives us to believe with hearing ears and seeing eyes. That Jesus brought down all the justice that Elijah wanted, but it fell on him. That we may now know, that though the story in 1 Kings 19 was in a denouement, we know the resolution. We are in Christ. We are living, living as those that have been resurrected in him. So with that in mind, I encourage us to go from this place remembering those three principles, physical needs. You need good physical care, including scripture, including Bible study and, and those things. But you really need good food, good exercise. We've all seen the memes of the person who gains 50 pounds over the break that we're all on. Don't do that. Take good care of your bodies, but especially spiritually. Secondly, please tend to your emotional places. Like, don't think you're above that. We all have emotions. How are you lamenting? How are you engaging your emotions? And finally, uh, we need to have a, a social gathering of some kind. You cannot be isolated. So be aware of how you're isolating yourself. All rooted in the cross. Amen.